Our text for this morning's sermon is taken from the Gospel lesson with special emphasis on the following words. Jesus said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is our text. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, a source of joy in heaven, one sinner who repents, is the cause of grumbling on earth among the impenitent. Nevertheless, Jesus descends from his throne in heaven to give joy to the world by bringing all who draw near to hear him to repentance and faith in him, including you and me. Now, the so-called good people They come not to hear Jesus, but to condemn him for receiving sinners and eating with them. They see themselves as intrinsically good, and those whose sins are obvious, like those tax collectors and the other sinners, is not worth their time, care, or concern. Sadly, they have nothing to do with them. Now, there's no joy in heaven. No joy in heaven when you deny your sins or blame others for them. Or when you live as if God doesn't matter in your life or as if God doesn't even exist. There's no joy in heaven over that. There's no joy in heaven when you refuse, when you refuse to love and care for others as God and Christ has loved and cared for you and for me. There is no joy in heaven when you reject the truth of God's word for the lie of believing that the source of truth is found within your own psyche. This lie of the scribes and the Pharisees, as well as the old Adam within you and me, is often referred to as expressive individualism. That's the two buzzwords of the day. Expressive individualism holds that human beings are defined by their individual psychological core, not their physicality, their psychological core, and that the purpose of life is allowing that core to find social expression in relationships. In other words, you determine what is right or wrong or true or false. And anything that challenges your view of things, anything, well, well, that is deemed as downright oppressive. So, in our text, did you notice that the scribes and the Pharisees see Jesus as the oppressor? 
just like the modern expressive individualists of today. Let me give you some examples. If you say you believe in God to others who don't believe in God, you're an oppressor because you're not aligning with what they think and believe. If, if you say that, no, you, we human beings, we didn't bring ourselves into being, that someone outside of us created us out of the dust, and that dust we are and dust you will be, oh my, you're a horrible person from their point of view. How dare you say something like that? And how dare you say that we are poor, miserable? How dare you? We're the good people. I believe in myself and I'm good. And they're offended when, when it is said that, no, you're not. In fact, you're evil and so am I. You're the oppressor when someone says, well, that I'm pregnant and that thing within my womb, well, that's just a, bob, that's just a, a bunch of a blob of cells. Or some even say, it's a parasite. You're an oppressor when you say, no, that's a human being with fingers and toes and eyes and ears. Do you see what's going on here? There's this idea if you deny reality, you can create your own. But that's false. It really is. You see, you're not Lord. And I know you might be offended by that, but I'm not Lord either. Jesus is Lord. And rejecting him leaves you and, and me lost in the anguish and despair of pretending, pretending to be God, pretending that there's no evil within me, but it's, oh, it's on those other people who are obvious about what's evil in them and happening through them. But when you attempt to make yourself into something or someone that is not in accord with who you are in reality, it doesn't end well. It just doesn't. And it's not ending well with those who take this false narrative to heart, to those who simply think that whatever my, where, wherever my emotions lead me and how to live or how to look at life, that's the truth. And they crash and burn. I might have mentioned this before, but I'll do it again because I think it's a startling statistic. The suicide rate among 18 to 24-year-olds in the 1960s was next to nothing. Now it's the leading cause of that age group's death. In the prime of life, the false narrative leaves you empty, makes it seem like everything is meaningless when it's not. And that's why Jesus is here. Here to, are you ready? 
call you and me and all of us to repent, to change. The other way doesn't work. Our way doesn't work. We're not in control. He is. And he's not an oppressor. He's your father. He's your creator. He's your savior. He truly is. But that's hard, isn't it, to repent? Isn't it hard to sit down with someone and tell them every horrific thought or word or action that you've ever done? Isn't that scary? Individual confession and absolution is scary, isn't it? Sitting before your pastor or kneeling before your pastor and and just letting it all come out. But why is that? Because the truth is we're all alike. We're all capable of horrific things. One sin isn't better than another. They all destroy us. So why does Jesus want us to repent? He's the only one who can take our sins away. He's the only one who can make it right. He's the one true God. He's the only Lord. And not only does he take your sin away from you, he replaces it with his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection, his saintliness. He clothes you with it. And he buries your sin in his death and rises victorious over it in his resurrection. And here's another really cool thing. He doesn't even remember it anymore. It's gone. Jesus said, there is more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Confession and absolution, receiving forgiveness, brings joy. There's joy for me too in knowing that I can say I've sinned and the Lord forgives me, sets me free from it. I can even say, as the Apostle Paul reminds us, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, the worst. This means that no matter what I've done, no matter what horrific thing I've said or done, the Lord forgives me and saves me from sin and death. He does. Because only He can do it. Thus says the Lord, God, listen, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them. I will rescue them. That's his promise. And that's what he does for every single one of us on this earth. Chief of sinners, though I be, we hear the hymn writer, right? Jesus shed his blood for me. 
died that I might live on high, lives that I might never die, as the branches to the vine. I am his, and he is mine. We need him. We can't live without God, the God who created us and redeemed us. As the apostle says, in him we live and move and have our being. Finding us, rescuing us, saving us. It's what brings joy to Jesus. And it's what brings joy in heaven as he carries us back to our home with God. He invites us to leave the grumbling behind and to rejoice with him, along with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven over every single sinner who repents. For the way Jesus is with us here on earth is the way it is in heaven too. God isn't one way here and one way in heaven. He's the same. He's the same here on earth and the same in heaven. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus is hanging out with sinners here, who do you think fills heaven's courts? Sinners. If Jesus is eating with sinners here, who has a seat at the heavenly feast? Sinners again. Who fills the heavenly choir? Sinners. Not those who don't care about their sin, but those who repent. Not those who think they've earned it or deserved it by their own goodness, but exactly those who don't. Sinners whose sins have been paid for, atoned for, forgiven. Sinners who have been made saints now in heaven, never to sin again. The lost sheep. The lost coin. The lost you. Now found, now living within the perfect home of heaven. Now, the way Jesus is and the way it is in heaven is the way it is here now as well in Jesus' church. For who sits in those pews? Who stands in the, in the pulpit? Sinners. Who has a place at this table? Sinners again. Who sings these hymns and confess the faith? Sinners. Every week. And every week acknowledging this fact and repenting of the reality of our sinfulness, our lostness, our fallenness, our not good enoughness. Every week we get to hear those joyful words of forgiveness. Grace that is for all of you and every single one of you. Baptism that is for all of you and every single one of you. And his body and blood that is for all of you and every single one of you. Because Jesus is here for all of you and each one of you.
for each and every lost sheep, lost coin, lost person. And there's no place, no place he'd rather be. Let that sink in. There's no place that he'd rather be than here with you, with you sinners, loving you, rescuing you, being your God. And with that, there's joy. Joy here now, and joy in heaven forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.